10 minutes ago, and they're bringing... No, so, I mean... Uh, hi, I cannot believe... Me. Um, Mickey, call me back. Okay, okay. No, it's fine, I don't need... No, just call me back, okay. Hi, uh, my wife and I, we've been traveling a very long ways and we're looking for a place to stay tonight. Do you have any room for us? I am so sorry, but I don't. I, I, I don't have anything. I've got a ton of people coming tonight and I just don't. Do you have like a closet or a floor or anywhere that we can stay? We don't require much. The walls in the whole house got painted. So that wouldn't be good for you. I mean, I'm just thinking about, you know, what's best. When's your baby due? December. But do you have any other options? I mean, we don't have anywhere to stay. Um. Hey, um, you're tall. Could you, could you push that button and could, and could you hold this basket? That one? Okay. Yeah, right there. Thank you. Joseph, right? They were walking into town looking for a place, a need, to, a need of a place to stay so that they can have their baby, only to be turned away by some mean, cold-hearted Johnson, I mean, Bethlehem, <laughs> Bethlehem innkeeper, right? So all month long, we've been in the series called The Christmas Star, where we have been looking at some of the different figures of the Christmas story. And to help us out, we've been using nativity scenes like this one, ones that maybe you have set up around your home or that we certainly see around the community, in front of churches, in our yards, uh, because these figures and these nativity stories help us see how Jesus was welcomed into this world. That the Magi, you know, from the east, that they welcomed the baby Jesus by traveling from afar, right? The shepherds, they left their flocks of sheep at night to come and welcome the baby Jesus. Joseph and Mary treasured the baby Jesus. Even, even the animals laid low to welcome the baby Jesus here in this world. And this all happened in a cold, dark stable on the outskirts of town. Why a stable on the outskirts of town? Say it with me, everyone. Because there was no room for them in, you're going to say that again, okay, I didn't queue up. Because there was no room for them in the inn, right. Today, I want to look at someone who isn't in our nativities, but this character is in our Christmas pageants. I love that the kids were here singing and performing for us. They did an incredible job. I know there's lots of proud family members out there. Oh, I'm so grateful that we have a church who values kids and them getting to experience the love of Jesus like these do. When I was a kid, a big thing every year was Christmas pageants. Anyone else? Anyone else get to play a part in the Christmas pageant right here? I was a shepherd number three until fifth grade when I got promoted to a speaking part as one of the wise men. It was a really big deal in my theatrical career. Never quite made it to Joseph, but still, that's okay. Anyway, in our Christmas pageants, there's a, there's a character in the Christmas pageants that we do see that I want us to look at briefly today, and it's the innkeeper, okay? So if you've ever seen a Christmas pageant, been in one, you know the way it starts. Joseph and Mary walk in from the back of the room, these two small children walking along. Sometimes they have like a makeshift donkey walking alongside of them. 
They come into town, they knock on the door of the Bethlehem Inn, and then out pops the innkeeper who crosses his arms and shakes his head, telling them, I'm sorry, we have no more room. And so they're left to find some spot on their own, some cave or some stable somewhere outside of town where they arrive just in time to have their baby child. Whew, that was close, right? I always feel sorry for the innkeeper. Anyone else? Can I say that out loud? I feel sorry for the innkeeper. I mean, imagine if you're the innkeeper. So you're just doing your job. You're working the night shift. Maybe you're doing a crossword puzzle or watching late night, and then all of a sudden someone walks in the door and rings the bell on your counter, and you pop out, and it's this young young couple. And you see their predicament, Right? But, 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 you know, what are you to do? You've, you've been, there's been a census. You've been sold out for weeks, maybe months. And so you tell this couple what you've had to tell every couple that's come in before them for this long period of time. I'm sorry, we have no more room. But you didn't know. You didn't know that you just turned away a couple who was about to give birth to the Savior of the world. You didn't know that you were going to go down in history as the one who got it wrong. You didn't know that had you said yes, you would have preserved your place. You would have become the hero of the Christmas story. And you and your inn would have preserved your place in nativity scenes for all time. You didn't know because you were just doing your job. So... Let's let the innkeeper off the hook, can we? But the real reason I want to let the innkeeper off the hook isn't because he was just doing his job. The real reason is actually far more simple than that. The reason I want to let the innkeeper off the hook is because there probably wasn't an innkeeper to begin with. Okay, so uh, historians agree, and if we look into the Christmas story and all of the Christmas accounts in the Bible, nowhere is there actually an innkeeper mentioned. And you're thinking to yourself, yes, there is. We just read about it. Well, let's go back in the story. Let me read this for us and pay close attention to the details here. So now in those days, Luke writes, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken of all of the inhabited earth. And this was the first census taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all of the people were on their way to register for the census, each to his own city. Now Joseph also went up from Galilee to the city of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the family of David, in order to register along with Mary, who was betrothed to him and was pregnant. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in cloths, and she laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And we may think, look, there it is. There was an inn. There must have been an innkeeper. There is no Motel 6 or Comfort Inn that you would walk into right now that wouldn't have someone sitting at the front desk 24-7 that's part of the deal, Right? Well, this is where our first century kind of tendencies, or our our 21st century thinking kind of works against us. Because an inn in the first century Palestine was very different from what we think of today. The Greek word that Luke uses here for inn is this word, katalama. Now, katalama does not mean motel or hotel. It actually means, get this, it means guest room. So, uh... When Luke writes there was no room, 
for them in the inn, he's actually saying there was no room for them in the guest room, which begs the question, whose guest room? What guest room? What are we talking here? So let's back up. Let's come at this from a wider angle. Rome was ruling most of the known world, and occasionally Rome wanted to know just how big their empire was. So, so Caesar would call for this census where they could see how many people were in their empire. And when they did this, families had to travel from wherever they were living. They had to go back to the hometown where their family was from. It was like these giant family reunions. So David was from Bethlehem. Even though they lived in Nazareth, he was from the, the line of David. I'm sorry, Joseph was from the line of David. David came from the small village of Bethlehem. So all of David's descendants had to return to this small village, which is why Joseph and Mary traveled from the north, Nazareth, down to this small village in Bethlehem. And some of you are saying, wait a second, wait a second, wait a second, wait a second. Luke said that they traveled up to Bethlehem. They did. Because Bethlehem is a thousand feet higher in elevation than Nazareth. Remember, this is the first century. So people are always traveling up to Jerusalem, up to Bethlehem, because it was the highest elevation in the land. So Joseph and Mary traveled from the north down to the south, up to Bethlehem, where they would have stayed for several months. Because this is, you think our DMV is bad having to wait a few hours. These guys had to go there and just wait until the entire census was complete, until they could go home. And so they would stay there in Bethlehem, and where families would stay, especially when they were coming back to be together with other family, was not at the hotel in town. And Bethlehem wasn't even big enough to have its own hotel, historians agree. They would stay with family. Where would they stay in the family's house? In the guest room, the katalama. And some of our older translations of the Bible have called that an inn, which is why our imagination now thinks of Jesus' birth in some cold stable because there wasn't room in the inn. So um, here's, here's how houses in Israel, if you're wondering, in the first century were laid out. Here's a pic here. This is from Harvard University. This is, a, this is a, probably the home of a very wealthy Palestinian family in the first century, okay? So there are two floors. Wealthy families might have two floors, but most of the time it was just one floor. And when you think of rooms, these aren't walls and doors. You can't shut your door and lock your siblings out. They were more just like spaces around the room. And here on the second floor, this is where the guest room was, where the living quarters was. So people would sleep upstairs. And then downstairs, this is where your kitchen and other parts of the house were. But it was all kind of meshed together. And right here near the front of the door, there would be this small area where the animal, where the family would bring in their animals at night just to protect them from, from outside, from robbers, from other animals, whatever it may be. They would bring them inside. And then right there in this place where the animals were, right near the front of the door, was a manger, the feeding trough. It was basically the equivalent of the family's dog dish. And this made for the perfect pack and play for Joseph and Mary to lay their newborn baby child in right after he was born. Now, why do I tell us this? Am I just trying to deconstruct our romanticized versions of the Christmas story? No. Maybe. <laughs> but not totally, because even if there wasn't an innkeeper, even if there wasn't an innkeeper, this innkeeper, this non-existent innkeeper, still symbolizes for us that the world that Jesus created didn't have room for his arrival in it. And that's worth holding on to. That's the bad news of the non-existent innkeeper. But there's some good news in this story. 
In fact, there's something that shows up in the scripture three times in Luke 2 that it is worth paying attention to. And that's what I want us to look at. See, I don't want to look so much at the innkeeper as I want to look at something that did make room for Jesus, and that's the manger. What I want to do in our remaining time is just to help us see that the manger was not just some furniture accessory in the story. The manger actually is this important symbol of the good news of Christmas. And I want us to hear the good news of the manger this morning because the manger was good news for Joseph and Mary that there was room for their baby. And it was good news for them and it's also good news for us. So here's the first piece of good news that the manger shows us. And it's that God makes a room where there isn't any. When we look at the manger, we see that God found a way in. God found a way into one of the most crowded situations that there could be. That God makes a way into the situations and struggles of our world that seem impossible. God makes a way into the situations and struggles of our lives as well. And there's some situations in your life that it feels like they're too crowded for God to show up in, aren't there? And so we need this good news that God makes room in our world, in our lives, where it doesn't feel like there are any. So let's go back to this house. So uh, Joseph and Mary, this house was so full of guests and family members that there were no extra beds. There was no space on the floor. There was no furniture. You couldn't even take two chairs and put them together to lay the baby in it. Even if Joseph could have, this is what I always wondered, Joseph was a carpenter. Couldn't he take some olive wood and like fashion something? Like even if he could have fashioned a makeshift crib for his newborn child, there wasn't room for it in this house. That's the picture of how crowded it was. And for us who, who you know, use 2,000, 3,000, 4,000 square feet for four or five people, uh, this might feel unfathomable. But this is very common and customary in the day, and it still is in many parts of the world. For large families to gather very close together in small spaces, this would not have been that uncommon back then. And so there was no room, so the newborn baby was relegated to the one place that no one else could, even if they wanted to, that no one else could have slept in, the feeding trough, the manger. But the good news of this is a manger is all that Jesus needed. See, God found room where there wasn't any. And all he needs are the places of our lives where we think he never could, would never show up. We look at a manger, it reminds us of all of the places that God showed up in, that it felt like this is too crowded, this is too impossible. Just take Mary's womb. God showed up in the womb of a virgin. God showed up in the manger of a crowded house in an obscure village in a corner of the world. God can do big things from small places. That's the good news of the manger. Does anyone here work for a Hallmark? Anyone know anyone who works for Hallmark? Isn't this like one of the leading? Okay, everyone knows. No one uh, I've got one for you. I've got Hallmark's next great, next great Christmas card. It's terrible, okay? But I just couldn't not, I couldn't do it. Here it is. You ready for this? God does major things in manger ways. Yes. Send it to your friends. Send all proceeds to Heartland Community Church. Uh, we'd, love, we'd love to have it help us out next year. Yes, I would love to see that be a Christmas card next year. If not, maybe we can get it into some country music for the Christmas season next year. God does major things in major ways. It's terrible, but you're going to remember it. See, God uses small spaces, and he does big things through them. And just think about your life. Let's talk about us. 
I'm going to speak for a lot of us and just say there's, when we look at our lives, I think a lot of us would say we don't have a lot of space in them. Our lives are crowded. Our schedules are packed. They're busy. Our minds are distracted and they're stressed out. Our finances are maxed out. Our hearts are heavy and full with, with grief and anxiety and fear. There's no more room left. And so whenever we sing those familiar lyrics every Christmas season, let every heart prepare him room, it stings a little bit. Because I think about how it doesn't feel like there's a whole lot of room there to be made. Anyone else? But all God needed was a manger. All he needed was some small, dirty, dark, impossible place. And from there, he would change the world. And so if you're looking for God to show up in your life, is there a manger in your life? Is there some form of a manger that you could make available for him? Is there a manger in your schedule that feels like this is too small for the God of the universe? And maybe it's just part of your commute to work where in, instead of listening to the radio or checking the news headlines at stoplights or social media or whatever it is, can you carve out that space and let it be a manger for God to show up in and see what he does? If you're looking at your finances and it doesn't feel like there's a whole lot left there, then you wouldn't be the only one. A lot of us are in that boat. But if you were to take some of what just... What is there? The little bit that says, I don't know why God would show up in that. What if you were to say, God, could, you, could that be a manger for you to show up in? Could I give this away to someone and pray that you would do something big through this small little thing to do something big in this person's life or this one's world? Maybe it's a little bit of forgiveness that you're able to offer someone that you've been holding something against for years. Because the manger reminds us that God can do big things from small spaces. And that's good news. Here's the next piece of good news of the manger. Not only does God, does God make room where there isn't any, God also makes room for everybody. The manger tells us God makes room for everybody. See, the manger, the manger didn't turn anyone away. Surely after Jesus is born, there's this knock at the door. And Joseph and Mary, you know, Joseph gets up to get the door. If I'm Joseph, I'm wondering, surely a lot of people on this street have heard what's been happening over the past few hours because Bethlehem's not that small a town. So maybe there's a neighbor who just heard the delivery and wanted to come over and check in on things, maybe bring a nice meal over to help us welcome this child, right? And so he opens the door and he finds a, a few shepherds standing out there. And these shepherds uh, look about as dirty as they smell. And uh, they, they have this, it's just, just as strange a look on their face as Joseph has on his when they're looking at each other. And then the shepherds, one of them kind of pops forward and says, hey, is it, this is strange, is it possible you have a manger with a baby in it? And then Joseph begins to open the door a little wider. And there they see a baby laying, swaddled in these cloths, laying in a manger. And that's when their eyes light up, and they begin to tell Joseph and Mary the story of what has happened to them over the past hour or so. And Luke records this for us. Here's what happened to the shepherds. There were shepherds living out in the fields nearby. Notice they were living, not working. They were living out in the fields. This was their cubicle. This was their bed. This is their workplace. This is their home living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. 
And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, don't be afraid. And I wonder, right as the shepherds told this to Joseph and Mary, if Joseph and Mary's eyes lit up, they're like, oh, yes, same thing happened to us. First thing out of the angel's mouth, don't be afraid. It's like they know we're having the living daylight scared out of us when heaven breaks into our world. And so they're identifying with them. He says, don't be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what they had been told. We'll come back to that one in a second. You see, the good news of the manger isn't simply that a Savior had come. Because a Savior is only good news if you're one of the people that the Savior has come to save. If you're on a sinking ship and a life raft shows up and there's only space for some of the people and it doesn't include you, that life raft isn't a lot of good news. But the angel said to them, this was good news for all. Because it held a Savior that made room for everybody. See, when the shepherds showed up at Joseph and Mary's house, there were no bouncers around the manger. There were no guards. There was no cover charge. There was no religious checklist. There wasn't even a viewing window to separate Jesus from his dirty visitors. And I imagine when these shepherds finally stepped into this house, if you've ever walked into a hospital room, especially after someone gives birth to someone, you kind of do so a little, a little carefully, like you, you know. And I imagine they kind of did that. They were approaching not just a, someone's baby, but apparently the savior of the universe. That could be a little intimidating. So they just kind of step forward, and I think Mary notices them and then says, hey, come in. Come closer. Nope, closer. Closer still. Because Mary knew that what the angel had told these shepherds about this baby was true. That it was good news for all. That he was a savior for all, not just for some. And so what this means for us is that if you've ever felt relegated to the outskirts of society like the shepherds have, there's room near the manger for you. If you've ever felt pushed to the outskirts of your family, there's room near the manger for you. If you've ever felt pushed to the outsides of religion or church or hope, if joy felt like something you could only see from a distance, Jesus showed up in a manger so that there would be space there for you. If you've ever felt like the regrets, the decisions, the sins in your life, and hear me, there are some. We all have sin in our life, and it's more than we realize there is. And the deal with sin is it pushes us away from God. It creates this wall. And so if you've ever felt like you were on the opposite side of something from God, it's because we are. But God sent Jesus to be a baby in a manger to say there is room in forgiveness for you. There's room in God's grace and love for you. And that doesn't happen without Jesus. 
You see, when the shepherds saw Jesus, they realized, they realized that if they had stayed in the fields nearby, they wouldn't have gotten to experience the good news. It's one thing to hear about the good news. But you only receive this saving grace if you come and see this one who is saving you. If you come near the manger and you step into the grace that he is offering you. And so Luke tells us that when they had seen him, then they spread word concerning what, they had, what had been told to them about this child. What had been told to them? That this was a savior for all. And they knew that if this was a savior, if it was good news for them, even them, then it had to be good news for all. If this was a savior for them, it had to be good news for everyone around them. So they ran into town. And the question for us is do we believe the same thing? If you believe that Jesus came to save you, that the, the birth of Jesus is good news for you, do you believe that it's good news for the people around you? And some of us would say, well, yeah, of course. Do you believe it's good news for the people who are making your life hard? Do you believe it's good news for the people who see the society different from you or vote differently than you, who are making this world a worse place in your eyes, who are making your life harder in your eyes, do you believe that the grace of God stops with you? Like we got the end of it? See, as a church, we don't. It's core to who we are. It's right there in our veins. We're like, if, if this is good news for us, it's got to be good news for everybody. This is who we are as a church. This is why we want our doors to be flung open so wide that we would remove whatever obstacles we can. We can't remove sin but we can remove whatever obstacles we can so that the world would hear about it. That people would find their home in the grace and the forgiveness and the love of Jesus. See, see this is Jesus' way all throughout life. At his manger, he welcomed those from the outskirts of society like the shepherds. Years later, he would welcome those from the outskirts of society like the working class fishermen who failed Hebrew school to be some of his disciples and his followers. He would welcome tax collectors, the traitors. He would welcome the prostitutes and the prodigals, people from both sides of the political spectrum, men and women, Jews and Romans, the old and the young alike, because Jesus didn't come to make room for some. He came to make room for all. That's good news. It's good news worth celebrating. Here's, here's another piece of good news for us. is that God is bigger than the room we make for him. See, mangers are small because babies are small. Think about babies, though. <laughs> they grow, don't they? So um, babies outgrow them because they're growing into who they were created to be. So when we, before we had our first child, uh, we wanted to buy a crib. This is an exciting endeavor for couples who are having children. And so we thought long and hard about it. We didn't know we were going to have four kids, but we hoped that we would have, you know, one or more. And so we went and we got one of those convertible cribs where the crib can be converted into a toddler bed when the baby gets a little bit bigger and then the toddler bed can be converted into a twin size bed so that they can sleep in it for several years because babies outgrow cribs. Cribs can't hold babies forever. They grow up. This is the weird part of Jesus becoming human. He grew up too, right? Shortly after Jesus' birth, Luke sums up the next several years of his life. It says Jesus grew he grew in wisdom and stature. He grew physically. He grew in favor with God and all of the people. When I think about Jesus growing, 
Jesus is getting bigger. It makes me wonder, here's a question for us, do I let Jesus grow in my life? Do I let Jesus get bigger in my life? Do I let his authority grow in my life? Do I let his love? Do I let the influence of his teaching get bigger in my life? Do I let him grow into more areas of my life, or do I just try to keep him in one or two areas of it? You see, not everyone liked it when Jesus grew up. In Luke 4, if we fast forward just a little bit, Jesus has long outgrown his manger, and he's gone to the temple in his hometown to preach, and all of the townspeople who knew him as a child and watched him grow up, it says they were amazed. In fact, here's how Luke records it. It says that all of the people, right after Jesus spoke in the temple, all of the people spoke well of him and were amazed, hold on to that, at the gracious words that came from his lips. And they said, isn't this Joseph's son, they asked. Isn't this that kid that we used to see running up and down the street? And now he is so precious. He's up there in the temple reading the scroll. Gosh, Joseph and Mary, you did well. He turned out okay. And then there's this part that Luke records for us where Jesus hears this and he tells them, he tells them, I'm, I'm not simply some, you know, son of Joseph. I'm this prophet that is greater than any prophet that Israel has ever heard of. And at this, the people kind of stepped back and said, watch yourself. We don't like this so much. In fact, Luke tells us that the people got so furious with Jesus, so furious with his blasphemy, that they were furious when they heard this. They got up and they drove him out of town all the way up to a cliff so that they could throw Jesus off of it. Well, things turned quickly. They were fine with Jesus when he was Joseph's son. They were fine with Jesus when he was a child. They were offended when he claimed to be sent by God. They were fine with him when he was reading the words of God. They were offended when he claimed to be the word of God. Because I think Christmas reminds us Jesus is an easy thing to be amazed by, right? We celebrate Jesus. That's an easy thing. Even if you don't love Jesus, we celebrate him. We sing about him. But Jesus didn't come to just be a baby to be celebrated. He wants to grow into our life, into a savior to be followed. Do we let Jesus grow in our life beyond something to be amazed by? Do we let him grow into someone that we would follow? There's a scene in a really, really dumb movie that many of you love <laughs> about a race car driver who says he loves the eight-pound, six-ounce baby Jesus more than the bearded, grown-up Jesus. It's a terrible movie. It's a horrible scene. You shouldn't watch it. Except that it reveals something that's very true. We try to keep Jesus small. It's a lot easier to love the baby Jesus than it is the one who teaches us and challenges us. A baby Jesus can be contained, it feels like. We don't let Jesus be all that he is. Maybe you make room for Jesus the baby, but do you make room for Jesus the Lord? Maybe you make room for the grace of Jesus, but do you make room for his word in your life? Maybe you make room for the Jesus who forgives you of your sin, but do you make room for the Jesus who tells you to stop sinning? 
Do we let Jesus grow into who he is, trusting that when we do, we get to experience more of that love that he came to give us? You see, Jesus wasn't simply born to be a baby to be celebrated. So are you letting Jesus grow in your life beyond the Christmas season to be someone to be followed, a Lord to reign over your life? I think, I think of Mary. See, every mother wishes in some ways that their kids would stay babies forever. My mom wished it. My wife wishes it. But Mary had to make room for Jesus to grow into the man that he was born to become. She had to decide if she would let Jesus be more than her son. She had to decide if she would let him be her Lord. She had to let Jesus grow beyond the manger to do what saviors do. And we know that Mary eventually became more than just the mother of Jesus. She became a disciple of Jesus. She was there for his teaching. She placed himself under his teaching and learned from it and followed it. She witnessed his miracles. She heard all of the ridicule that he had received, and she stood beneath the cross at his death. She was also there at the empty tomb, and she was there when he left earth for heaven. And I think she could do all of these things because she knew that Jesus was more than her child. He was a savior to all. She knew that just like the manger wasn't big enough to hold him, the world wasn't big enough either. In fact, if we go over to John's gospel, he tells us about a moment before Jesus is tried and goes to the cross where he tells his followers in John 14, he says, don't let your hearts be troubled. There is more than enough room in my father's home. If this were not so, would I have told you that I am going to prepare a place for you? And when everything is ready, I will come and I will get you so that you will always be with me where I am. This is the last piece of good news for us. It's that God is still making room for us. You see, Jesus showed up in the little bit of room that our world had for him. We made room in a dirty manger and we made room on a criminal's cross. And he didn't have to take it. He certainly deserved more than that. But he let himself be placed in the manger and he let himself be nailed to that cross. And because he did, because he did, he made a way for us into this eternal home where he is right now making room for you and me. And this isn't a, a heaven, this isn't a heavenly home that we have to wait to experience because when you make Jesus part of your life, when you make room in your heart form, you get to, we get to experience some of that heavenly home right now. We get a taste of that hope and that joy. We get a taste of everything that we can't wait to experience. We get to experience it right now. Heaven, eternity, home, it starts now. And so the band is going to lead us in a song about making room because the good news of the manger isn't simply good news. It's an incredible invitation. God made room for us and he still is. Will we make room for him? Will you make room for the arrival of a savior this Christmas? Maybe for you, you've made room in Christmas before, but then it's kind of stopped. Will you make room, not just in your Christmas, but in your life? If you're 
relationship with God has kind of gotten stale or old or just hard or weird or confusing, complicated? Will you make room in that complicated relationship for God to, to do something surprising for you? Will you make room in your doubt, your expectations, your assumptions for Jesus to be there? Will you make room for this God, the God that the scriptures tell us is so big that he holds the constellations of the universe between two fingers of his hand, and yet he became so small, so vulnerable, so human, because he wanted to make space. He knew that that is what it was going to take to make room for you to experience all of the love and power that he has to offer. And so if, if you want to make room for God, I want us to have an opportunity just to symbolize that in a really simple way is that as the band leads us in this song, if your response to that invitation is to make room for God, to give him some small space to do something big in your life for the first time or the millionth, whatever it may be, as the band sings this song, I just invite you to stand and sing as a, as a, a picture of what you're asking God to do. Just stand and sing. Don't sing words. Sing the meaning behind them. If, if standing isn't right for you right now, that's fine. We would never want you to do something just because other people are or because we told you to. That's not who we are as a church. Take some space in this service just to reflect, pray even. Think about where in your life you would love for God to show up, those impossible, dark, scary, cold places where you would never expect a God to show up and pray that God would surprise you that he would. And so, Heavenly Father, as we come to you now, we offer you these places of our lives. We look back on this scene that we do our best to try and imagine but what Luke tells us is there is something so incredible and cosmic about this that we could, we could never be able to imagine what was happening that evening and all that it meant. But I pray that right now that we would hear the angel's invitation to come close because this isn't a manger to look at from afar. This isn't a story to hear about from afar. It's one to step in close, Jesus. So would you invite us close, closer than maybe we've ever been before into that grace and love that you came into this world so that we could experience. You made room for us and you still are. We celebrate that now.